0: so good day and welcome to the topco business unusual podcast today i'm joined by the very lovely managing director of t-systems danao malefe um welcome danao
1: thank you so much ralph thank you
0: so we're in some interesting times no doubt you're at home, locked locked in. Yep. How are you finding
1: it? Well, I must say the, the first, we went remote about a week and a half before the country went remote. So okay. it took me quite a while to adjust to working from home. Previously, I had been working from home a few days, let's say like a day in once every two weeks, I would work one day from home. But just the physical act of being in one space for a long period of time, confounded, not being able to move, not being able to exercise, this was very, very difficult. So eventually I, I've adjusted. So yeah, I think now um, I have a rhythm. I, I have I have a rhythm, I know how to deal with it. <laughs> so So yeah, it took a while.
0: So in your rhythm... Is, is walking, running, cycling part of that rhythm?
1: Yes. So before we went to level three, I was doing online gym exercise. So oh, wow. as soon as we got to level three, I was like, yay, I can go back onto the road. So I go on the road in the mornings. So that has just been amazing to be able to do that. So, yeah, that's, I mean, it helps me a lot to be able to exercise.
0: And do you, do you run like in events or do you just run to stay sane?
1: Just to stay sane. (laughs) sane.
0: Okay. So you're not doing marathons or half marathons or crazy stuff like that. You're more just keep, keep a little bit of fit and keep the mind ticking over.
1: No, you know, I'm not a, a natural runner. So for me, it's just being able to exercise and stay fit. What I really like doing is uh, your martial art type of things. Virgin Active has a boxing class. I love that. So that's my favorite thing to do. I like kickboxing. So as soon as, you know, we are able to go to gym, that's the type of stuff that I do. But now that we can do gym, and even if i go to gym occasionally i do the road thing yeah so i'm not a runner i just like to be jogging and keeping fit
0: oh wow interesting and um how you found it not having easy access to family and friends are you is it is it hard
1: I think so. I think that it was, you know, I, my, I have my two sons, so and they are grown, so it's nice to have them in the house all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I am yeah, as a mother. <laughs> but with, <laughs> not seeing like my mom, my sisters, that's, that's been difficult. So, of course, one does video calling, you know, it makes a difference. But it's not easy not yeah. to see people over a period of time
0: yeah for sure now I've also got my three boys here and we had to rewrite the rule book um, <laughs> because I think <laughs> when, when you going to work and coming back and you're doing things on the weekend it's different from when you're all together yeah. all at once and some of them are yeah, 20 and 17. 16 so that they think that the house belongs to them actually so we had to re, re, re-engage and uh, yeah it, it was interesting first couple of days but we're in a rhythm now they have they're doing the garden, the windows. It's it's yeah, like going uh, back in time, uh, so which is good for them, I think. They said they're enjoying yeah. it. I don't know if they're lying or not. <laughs> uh, so I'm intrigued because obviously when I speak to very successful people who are running organisations that are multinationals, I'm always intrigued – in terms of um, their journey and what shapes them. And I know that you're very passionate about gender empowerment. I know that you're very passionate about youth and leadership. And so Mm. I was wondering where that came from. Like um, from what I read, you you studied as you started work at the same time, Mm. which is also very unusual. Um, that sounds like somebody who, who didn't have many privileges and, and really had to make the best of a situation. Mm. Do you want to? Do you, you want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Um, yeah. You... So yeah, I think so. I really do believe that who who we are as adults is hundred percent shaped by where we come from, how we grew up, who raised us, and how they did that. So, you know, I was predominantly raised by my grandmother. She was a person who made tea at one of the major banks. And um, my grandfather passed away. I think I was two years old at that time. Uh, my mother was a single parent to us three girls, and she worked as a seamstress in a clothing factory. So I think that I I was influenced largely by women, I didn't have a reference of you know father figures as such, my, so my influence came from very much from women, and the people they were were I saw them as very strong people. I saw them as people who, whatever the situation was, like they faced it head on. I've never experienced my mother expressing fear as an example. I've never experienced her saying, "Well, I cannot do this." You know, she always used to say to me and to us, you know, my sisters and I, that life is a challenge. Uh, Don't be afraid to face it. So, I mean, obviously at that stage, like, I don't know what she was talking about, but I think these are the things that shaped me. And in the community where I grew up, I did sometimes witness situations where the girls that were growing up with me at that stage, in the families that they were in, where you see the mother not working or being financially able to fend for herself, it did seem as though her life was a bit, um, it could be uncomfortable in terms of the Mm. home and the home relationship. So it became very clear to me at a very young age, first of all, that, you know, nothing's going to be easy. So you just have to deal with what's in front of you head on, like don't run from situations. And secondly, that as a woman, it's important for you to be able to provide for yourself so that you're able to have choices. You're able to determine your own future, your own fate, and be comfortable in your own space. My grandmother was a person who was, I would say, strong-willed, who had strong resolve. She was not loud. You know, I've never heard her raise her voice. Um, And she was quite reserved, but... She was the kind of person when she speaks, you've you've heard her, like she never has to repeat herself. Um, So, I mean, these are the women that shaped me. And I guess for me, when I am concerned about a woman's ability to have financial um, ability, you know, it's not about being rich and having millions. It's just about being able to take your children to school, buy yourself clothes, buy food, the basics that we all need. To be able to make a living anywhere you live in the world I think it's important I think it's very very important you would have seen now with COVID that things like gender-based violence have increased substantially in the home now you would think that oh well when we are all locked up together relationships should be improving <laughs> but apparently not but <laughs>
0: and, <laughs> and apparently without alcohol as well <laughs>
1: exactly so for me, these will typically probably be women who um, the situation before COVID from an economic perspective was not good anyway. Now you are in this situation and you're probably you're forced to stay in it because what choices do yeah. you have? Um, and I think it's just choice is a very important thing. You know, for every human being has to have a choice. The only person who, yeah, everybody has to have a choice. Yeah, that's my view.
0: So, I mean, you you made some great choices, obviously, to get to where you are, and I'd imagine you made some not so great choices, which um, you you probably learned from. The the choice mm. to study while you're working, I mean, where did that come from? Knowing that you had to invest in your own education.
1: Well, it wasn't really a choice. It well, maybe it was a choice, but it was. I had to, there was no other option. (laughs) I had to, because...
0: Other people might argue, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Maybe I could have, yeah, maybe I could have decided to give up, I guess. Yeah. But I made that choice because to me, I've always been very clear that I I will be able to provide for myself as a young girl. Mm. I was always clear that I will be able to provide for myself, um, I did well in school, so really that was never a struggle. So I chose to work because there was no ability to go to university um, on a full-time basis. My mother just simply could not afford it. The money was just not there.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I had to work. I worked as a filing clerk at that time. So it was funny because I was 17 years old and uh, you know, I went for this interview and... Uh, so you know, people couldn't figure out Are you working at a bank. You're 17. What? What does this mean? So I was working and studying at Unisa at the same time. So you know, that was a lot. To be honest, I never saw anything strange with it. It was just what it was.
0: What was the bank?
1: First National Bank.
0: <laughs> <laughs> really? And is it the same bank that your yeah. mar- your grandmother, also worked at, or is it a different?
1: No, she worked at NetBank. She okay. worked at NetBank.
0: So, mm. I mean, it's interesting. You started off in banking. You then pursued finance. What? What, mm. what was the interest in finance? Because. Well. What,
1: what,
0: what I can say it was to an.
1: That? What drove me to that? I can say it was a natural talent because that is what I was just good at the whole time. I didn't see any other option. I think my whole inclination, my whole thinking was always around the finance, around money, you know. I was the kind of kid, if somebody shows up and says they got a job, I would ask them how much salary would they be earning. So I think money is always, it was just going to be my part. (laughs) Are you good with money? I am. I would think so. Yes. Okay.
0: So you you read all Warren Buffett's books and all that sort of stuff, or, and are you one of those uh, money gurus or?
1: I think. I, am I a money guru? I think I am somebody who who is wise with money. Okay. Who, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. And I mean, um, you, you sort of moved fairly quickly through the auditing profession and then you joined Tebe. And you, mm. your career accelerated quite a bit there. What, what Was that down to the environment? Was that down to the people you worked with? Was that down to the opportunities that presented itself at the organisation?
1: I, I think it was a combination of these, of these items. I think Tebe, by nature of its diversification, really presented lots of opportunities. It's really up to you to make it work or to not make it work in that type of environment. Mm -hmm. I do think that the culture also within Tebe was quite developmental, I could say that. I worked for somebody who was a delegator of note. So it really helped me to be able to do my job, do his job, And in that way, grow quite a lot. Mm. So, you know, sometimes people say, well, I'm here to do this and don't tell me about anything else. But you really miss an opportunity when you come up with such statements because the more people expose you, the more you learn. And I also think that the environment was, I flourish in places where I can do my own thing. And Tebe was like that. I never felt restricted in any way. I could always test ideas, I could always test solutions and I always had an audience. The environment was not restrictive in any way. So that was really, really good.
0: And when you say do your own thing, what, what does that mean? Because um, like, like, was it mm. doing things on the side or was it finding projects that you wanted to get involved in? Or was it making changes within the organization that you felt needed disruption?
1: I think it's making changes that that needed to that in my view needed to be made, but you know it's not it's not I wouldn't have done it in a way that is uncollaborative or you know here I am mm-hmm. running things side. What I mean by that is really that you know if I look at um the way the business is running and I have an idea that I think can make a difference to the way forward, I'd be able to articulate it, develop the idea, articulate it work with the people in the organization to make it come to life, as opposed to, you know, this is how things work and this is how they've been working and that's it. So that's what I mean by, you know, being able to do your own thing.
0: For sure. And I mean, obviously there's been a, a massive disruption now and T-Systems is in many ways at the center of of many of the solutions to the challenges we're facing I suppose a country in business and policymakers in mm-hmm. government. How are you finding COVID as an organization with this? I'd imagine you're getting inundated with requests for help. <laughs> how
1: How is it? Mm. So I think that what we are seeing is that it definitely are the organizations that we service are really struggling. We're seeing that, funny enough, the healthcare industry private healthcare is struggling with very much reduced occupancy rates so this period has really hurt their revenues because of the type of work that they do Uh, we're also seeing retailers are really struggling so i think what we're evidencing is that there is risk to everyone i mean we you would think that we'll be able to be at the center of it and forefront and we are but we are seeing the, the knock-on effect of the risk from our customer base that is coming through. Some of our customers are automotive um, organizations. They are not operating. Some of our customers, manufacturers, some of them are operating at half capacity. So that's really been quite an impact on us as well. We are seeing, though, that from a technology perspective, there has had to be an acceleration, call it, of digital ways of working in businesses. The number two request really is about connectivity. Customers just want, companies just want to be able to know that I can connect from where I am, from my home, my, my employees can be able to connect. We're not going to have dropping lines. We're going to be able to have clear, um, sound, and we can just carry on business from where the, from the, where the employees are. They want to know is our connection secure. Our hackers not going to invade our systems during this time. So I would say that people are really just concerned about the basics. Can I connect? Is the connection secure? Do we have enough infrastructure to be able to do that connectivity? So I think there is an acceleration of what we would have thought is not possible. I mean, some of the companies that I think probably would have thought there is no way that we can allow people to work from home have had to <laughs> be in that And allow people to work from home. So COVID, I think, has been the good side of it has really been accelerating and causing people to think differently. And I do think there's much higher productivity. I mean, what I've seen in our organization is that the engagement levels are just so high. We are continuing to sign new customers, even in this time that we are home. We are engaging on digital platforms, on virtual platforms with customers, new customers, even in this time that we are home. Whereas previously, it would have taken weeks to plan an event, you know, and do a whole lot of admin around it. Now we plan it in a week, it's done, people attend. So that's the thing that I think has been really, really good about this period. It helps us to see what has been a comfort zone And when you're in an uncomfortable zone, how do you really, really super adjust in a very short space of time? So, overall, I think that South African businesses are in a very tight spot. I don't think that we have seen the full impact on our economy from this um, COVID impact. And I think some of the industries are more impacted than others. And I think some will take longer to recover than others. I think that consumer behavior will never be the same. I think, you know, if I just think about myself, the choices that I make, how I spend money going forward are really gonna be different. They already are different. Yeah, and I think nothing's gonna be the same. There is definitely nothing that's gonna be, oh, this is what it used to be and we carry on. Nothing will ever be the same.
0: So what do you think is gonna be different for yourself in terms of your spending? Like at the moment I'm just buying really food, I would say. I noticed since lockdown, there's not too many mm. other things. I've, I don't think we've been able to, but mm. do, do you think it's going to be more like, as you mentioned before, like when you were younger, you just at the basics and, and you realise that those are the most yeah. important things. Do you think it's about going back to a simpler life or do you?
1: You know, so I'll speak as a female consumer. What are the things that I used to spend money on? Nails, super important. Now I've gone without nail polish for quite a while. And I'm thinking, I'm not so sure if I need all of that. My dressing room is full of clothes that I'm not wearing all the time. So I'm not so sure I need all the shoes that I have been consuming or buying all this time. I've been cooking regularly. So I'm not so sure that I need all the takeout or all the dining out am I really going to buy a whole new car anytime soon? Mm, not so, I don't think so. You know, these are the things that I, I think my decision to buy anything now is going to be based on, do I really need this? Where am I going with it?
0: For sure. So yeah. so I, I almost feel the same way, you know. Um, so before lockdown, I actually went to Indonesia for about a week and we go mm-hmm. there we go to quite a remote place and we go there but basically because it has nothing um there's no shops there's nothing you you sort of um it's like going back in time 100 years
1: but oh, actually
0: I, I love it yeah you got you got got a broken up scooter that you drive around and you and it's and you're on a you got flip flops and a a t-shirt on and and you're almost free of everything And it's so, in a way, rewarding because you get to know yourself. (laughs) You don't realize how dependent you are on these other things. But at the same time, the effect on the economy and, and, and an economy and a free economy of creating goods and services. I mean, what's the impact of that? Because there's many organizations who require us to buy these things are you you seeing that they're going to have to change the way that they produce or
1: well i have two thoughts on that i I think that there is a rethinking my view is that there is a rethinking around where we we buy goods from in south africa you know i think that Mm. um organizations that have a large dependency on imports do need to rethink because as we've seen with COVID, your supply chain can be interrupted overnight, and you just really just stop. So I and that to me represents an opportunity for local suppliers, mm. for smaller businesses, for entrepreneurs. So I think that is an opportunity, and I think industry will have to rethink about where do we source product from. I also do think that. It does present an opportunity about, you know, customer or consumer engagement, just if, you know, if if I'm talking about a business to consumer type of organization, it does represent an opportunity about how do you engage me? Because for example, if I go to, to the question of what are the basic needs? Okay. So my basic needs four months ago was a very good car that is reliable it was all my nails have to be done, my facials and everything else. <laughs> my basic needs had really evolved over time from yeah. where I grew up. In <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> they were not so basic anymore, right? <laughs> it was all relative now, what's basic. But this period has redefined my basic needs. It really has taken me back to reality. So mm. I think that that, also, that in itself presents. A challenge to the whole country this whole income gap story when me and you whose lives are different from the person in Slot or Alexandra me and you can go on a flight and you know go to Indonesia go to uh, Paris mm. to think too much about these things but today my needs and their needs not, not their needs the the needs of a person who lives a very basic life in dipslwood are the same we both need food we both need security in terms of our health we both need safety in terms of our health we have the same needs we both need our kids to be able to continue to learn while we're at home so i think the opportunity for the country is and for the government is to really rethink how industry works to be really really more inclusive to really really open mm. up opportunities for much, much more people, it is an opportunity for the banking sector to really rethink deeper about the so-called risk uh, strategies that ask you for ten-year or five-year forecast before you can even cough and talk to them. You know, so there is really an opportunity and a need to for all of us to rethink how we do things because this economy cannot sustain this huge gaps. Of people who have money and who don't, it is unsustainable. It's not going to work.
0: I mean, one of the things that's going to change is obviously skills and the transformation of skills. And I know that you guys have done a, a huge amount of work in terms of um, developing skills in the IT sector, especially women. Are you seeing? Mm. Are you seeing that, uh, that the skills that that you have? trained are you seeing that changing now in the near future or do you just see it being amplified
1: i think it's more of an amplification because we focus on uh training in terms of tech and i mean this is that the if there's ever a time that a certain type of leader needs to emerge it is that tech savvy leader you know so i think it is an Mm. amplification of what we're doing Yeah, because I really do think that the young people that we train, I mean, I see them evolve. They come in today and they come out another way. I mean, they do really just amazing things and they grow so much and they can be able to apply themselves in different industries. So I think it really is an amplification of what we've been doing. I think that we've also started to, to, to do things like engage school children in terms of empowering them from a cyber security perspective, empowering them from enga- how do they engage safely on social media, how do they conduct themselves on social media to be safer uh, and to protect themselves. So it's more of an amplification of, of the of the reach, really. So, I mean, safety
0: is a big thing. Eh? I mean, I know that you've just created a, a platform that you're rolling out in terms of, safe networks for organizations against hackers mm-hmm. are, are you seeing that really you've obviously implemented because you're seeing from a global perspective but also a south african perspective because of the digital transformation of organizations that safety is now a, a big part of their mandate
1: it is it really is you know um, and even with this covid situation now the security of platforms is like key it is It is number one priority now. What is top of mind for any uh, chief information officer? Connectivity and security during this phase. So I think safety is important. And I think that, you know, as the world evolves and as technology tends to, will start to lead more and more, I think safety is very, very important for corporations in terms of their data for individuals in terms of their data as well. So whatever device that you're using, even this recording here, I mean, it is possible that somebody can hack our recording as we speak. So safety is super important at all platforms and at all levels. My son was telling me yesterday that a friend of his, uh, their Zoom account was hacked. So now we are all having to con- to connect using these platforms but we have to ensure as organizations that these platforms are safe because you know your data can be very very vulnerable if 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 you're not in the right space as, as far as that's concerned
0: so I, I suppose with connectivity and the changes in in sort of this vr world virtual reality world um mm. obviously 5g is going to be a, create a big impact because you you know it's going to mean that videos are going to be clearer and we're going to struggle even more to know the difference between what is reality what isn't Mm. how do you see that happening with the 5g there's a couple of people who are scared of 5g and there's those who see opportunities with it.
1: yeah i mean i've i've definitely read quite a bit of um, conspiracy theories around 5g um but i will i will stick to this is what i think will happen really i think that We already started with the whole thing of um, AI and and machine learning and uh, connected devices, you know, under the way we are now with the 4G 4G regime. I think 5G is really just going to exponentially accelerate it. We're going to be able to connect much, much more devices. I think the whole thing of virtual reality is going to be enabled at a much um, greater pace by 5G. And I think communication um, and speed of communication, ability to connect anywhere and everywhere is gonna be much, much greater with 5G. The thing that I think we need to be aware of is what does the security and privacy implications of all of that mean to us as individuals, to organizations? So I think for me, security becomes really, really critical in that type of world where everything is connected How secure am I? Where is my privacy? At which point um, does my privacy then become infringed upon? If you just have to think about governments and the behavior of governments around citizen data, you know, if our government in South Africa all of a sudden decided that, for example, as part of this um, COVID um, immunization, when when we get there, they need to now gather all our data much more than what they have today. At which point do we say, "Well, do that" because we are interested in the general safety of everyone? At which point do I say, "No, you can't do that" because now you are over my privacy? So I think for me, the big thing to watch for in terms of five G and the acceleration of connectivity and the device connectivity is really around security and privacy of of people.
0: Yeah, I mean we've we've got the. The, the Poppy Act coming into play now. Mm. How, how I mean I, I get the sense that in Europe it was very widely implemented and there was a lot of organizations who couldn't work for other organizations and compliance was very strict. Mm. And and I get the sense that with the promulgation of the act and implementation now the, mm. the same level of priority to How strictly we roll it out isn't quite there at the moment because of COVID or are you seeing something different are you seeing that it's going to be a big impact on top of COVID?
1: I think that um, it will probably vary from country to country and and, you know people's reaction it also will be informed in some ways about how far from a technological advancement um, countries have gone So I think from a Europe perspective, I mean, the Europeans are doing much, much more than we are doing um, in terms of making their ordinary lives being driven by technology. For example, smart cities are working very effectively in Europe and in America, whereas we are not there. Smart ports, um, smart airports are working very effectively in Europe. So I think that COVID will somehow slow down this this topic about poppy and what is the impact of poppy because you, re, you you do everybody has to rethink what am i needing in order to ensure that um, ralph's movements don't impact Dineo's health this thinking mm-hmm. must happen to what extent my need to know that ralph's movements don't impact Dineo's health at this to what extent will this now influence what I now deem to be private and not private anymore. So in my view, it is possible that you would have to rethink what does poppy mean in this world of COVID um, and you can't change it overnight.
0: But it's just the implementation. I I think it's also how geared up our corporates to the implementation and securing their data in a manner that is best practice as well, right?
1: yeah exactly. um exactly I think that but but then again, we have to think about what is best practice now. Maybe we need to rethink best
0: practice, you know. so everything's um, being rethought through this yeah, process
1: yeah um best practice uh, could have been that today will probably need to mean that you you have the right to ask me, where have I traveled. To. What's been going on? Whereas yesterday, like, I would be, but why you ask, what does this have to do with you? Kind of thing. So that also has to be rethought. What does that best practice for the sake of the safety of the organization, um, the people and operations? For
0: sure. I see that Emirates has just opened up some flights now. nine locations around the world they've opened up so already that rethinking's happening i mean you're talking earlier about how a week before lockdown you already transitioned your whole organization Mm. i think we we didn't do that so we did it the day of lockdown but we we prepared the week before should i say that Mm -hmm. and tested because i was in isolation so i was one of those people who were testing okay but What I saw is this amazing speed that organizations who were operating had digitally transformed their workforce at least to this new way and and you talked around an acceleration of change
1: Mm. and
0: do you see that carrying on now do you see that that we we as leaders see a new way of working and we're gonna make that the benchmark an acceptable way of working do you think we know now that what Google did and some of the amazons of the world and it's going to be the way we're going to work in the future the rate of change adoption Mm -hmm. innovation is going to be quicker
1: i do think so i don't think we have a choice Yeah, i don't think we have a choice i think that for example the word agility in our organization was a big word starting from last year we're all about we have to work agile we have to do things in an agile where we have to make decisions quickly, we have to be able to respond very quickly. So, I mean, I guess that helped us because by the time this hit, we really were ready. We're not planning for COVID, but we were ready to be able to act. So I think leaders do not have a choice. I think what certainly what COVID shows us is that there is swan events when they happen, no one has control over them no one has the ability to predict them. And that's a big thing. The inability to predict when what can happen is something that we as leaders want to be able to do all the time. And therefore we put in these risk management frameworks and plans and we present to our board of directors, this is my risk, red, orange, yellow, and green. There is no way any risk register could have had COVID on its list. There's no way that anyone could have had a SWAN event. Most organizations didn't, in my view. So I think that we certainly cannot go back to a way of business where we kind of wait for what's coming, kind of react to what's coming. I think we're going to have to be a bit more foxy about how we do things, uh, be a bit more, yeah.
0: Foxy, you mentioned that. I did a podcast last week with um, Clem Sunter, and we spoke about this very thing. Yeah. How leaders have to be like foxes and agile and yeah. adaptive. And, and I mean, maybe it's part of the personality traiting now in terms of leaders is being able to act quickly and swiftly and, and you know, moving their ship around quicker than before. Certainly mm. some of these ships are quite big. I mean, what do you see some of the challenges for leadership in the future?
1: Challenges hmm, so for leadership? Um, you know, I think that from a call it leadership quality perspective, I, I certainly think that leaders are going to have to surround themselves more and more with people around them who are not only call it business line leaders within those organisations, but also advisory type of people, people who in some ways, you, you, I, I think you, have, you need people who are going to, in some of their thinking, be a little bit more futuristic, be a little bit more scenario thinking type of ways of operating. So if I, if I imagine um, a board of directors, for example, I think boards are gonna have to think about who of us as a skill competency or a skill mix it's going to help us with that scenario planning. It's going to help us with that futuristic thinking. It's going to help us with this, what is this new normal shape like? It's going to help us with, okay, when 5G is now fully fledged, what does this mean for our business and how do, we, how do we prepare? So I think the challenge for leadership is to be a bit more broad-based, shared leadership, shared thinking, inclusive, not so much of a power story, but much more of a trust. And they're taking a long story. Because no one has a no single person has the answers for anything. I don't believe so.
0: It's almost leveled the playing fields in terms of expertise and experience because with this no one's actually ever gone through anything like this, no matter what yep. level of the food chain there are within an organization or society. Yeah. And I suppose what it does, it resets the the data points almost best practice everything everything seems to be reset to a new normal yeah Actually, and what do you see the the impact of covid on business being in the long term post lockdown
1: i think if i look at south africa specifically i mean apart from you know needing to rethink customer engagement uh, customer behavior changing i think that some of the sectors like the property sector especially in relation to how that sector relates to retail businesses, it's going to be super different. Um, I mean, I think we're already seeing it when people say, sorry, we're not paying rent. So I've, you know, I read the other day, Australia has now issued some type of legislation to regulate how landlords are needing to behave during this COVID situation in order to assist tenants. So I think the property sector is going to be hugely impacted, needs to totally rethink that engagement model with their tenants. I think that as a country we're going to have to rethink about our sources of um, inputs in terms of our materials because I I do think that the less we can depend on imports the more we can realize the so-called industrialization dream that the country and the government had Um, and it opens up opportunities for small businesses. I think that much of what we see in terms of the dynamics between the United States and China will have an impact on emerging economies such as ourselves. You know, these are two superpowers, you know, debating on who's bigger than who, and all of it just plays out on the rest of us. I think that Europe, my opinion with regards to Europe, with its uh, population, uh, call it, with its aging population, I think that COVID does highlight a gap with regards to that because, you know, the older the population is, the more difficult it is to start thinking about how do we sustain uh, the economy, how do we sustain the country. Of course, European economies are superpowers, super established and very solid compared to emerging markets. But I think that for me, COVID does create a risk in terms of those economies and their populations and what what it means for their future. So those are my thoughts on on where we are as a country. I think that our healthcare system and our, our education system is very clearly, I think saying as a country that we are not happy about our education system. And I think if there is no fundamental change in education, And the leadership of education in this country, I think that is the one thing that can bring this country to its knees, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't think that the rating can bring us to its knees, to our knees. Yes, it has an impact. I don't think that the downgrading can do that. I think that education and failure to fundamentally shift the game in education can bring this country literally to its knees. And Today, me and you can talk about our kids doing online learning, but who, which kid in Pampir start or Kruon or whatever start it is, is able to log on online, have a parent who can supervise that? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think, I think education or certainly skills is going to be the divider now in the future mm-hmm. in terms of wealth creation and entrepreneurship. I mean, Mm. I I also get the feeling that it's a good thing in a way that we are less reliant on these imports. And I think that South Africa has the ability to be one of the most self-sustaining countries around the world um, Mm. because of our size and, and, and farming and the mining and those sorts of things. It's just now diversifying into... Getting back into manufacturing, I suppose, and some of those other areas, um, exactly. so, and understanding what our core values are as a country and our natural resources. I mean, one of the things that that I see a big opportunity is entrepreneurship, and I know that you've dabbled in entrepreneurship yourself. Mm. What what do you see? How do we how do we create more on entrepreneurs in South Africa how do we drive a culture of entrepreneurship it seems to be that there seems to be a a big reliance on corporates to create jobs and I I can't see that in the future yeah being realized
1: yeah no that's true I mean um, you know if I just maybe reflect back to things like when. The economy was a bit more open and inclusive when the whole thing of uh, BEE or BEE transactions started. They started off as a little bit one man, two man shows. Then, Then, over a number of years, opened up to be more community based, more inclusive. But I think at the center of it, even in this period of evolution of who is an entrepreneur, even in this period where entrepreneurs are the guy and the lady at the street corner selling the mask as we see today, selling um, cell phone charger connectors as we see today. I think at the center of it is just ability to access capital in this country. Mm -hmm. And I think that, pardon me, our country has not evolved in, in terms of what is an entrepreneur, what is a small business, and how do you support it effectively? I mean, I remember that even when I, I was involved in this franchise business that friends of mine and I had, I mean, we were in our 20s, super idealistic, we thought we were conquering the world. To get funding in that environment, it was not easy because the things that we were being asked for were just simply not there. If you're trying to start a business, you're being asked, for security, security for the ordinary person is their house. Now, how do you ask me to you know, risk the future of my children? We can call it skin in the game all we want to, but I think that there's a point of middle ground that from a between capital and between business, cap, source of capital and actual business launch, we are just not seeing. In a way, we are disadvantaged as a country because we don't have those, so much of that angel investor type of um, schemes going. We don't have a lot of, a diverse amount of rich people who can put their money in businesses as private equity and then pull out when they've made their money. We don't have all that. So our reliance is really on the banking sector and on the government schemes, be it through the IDC, or the DTI, that's where our reliance is. But I think these sectors have not found a way of bridging the gap between what I'm asking for from you. If you are telling me that you want to start a a business that um, manufactures protective equipment for nurses versus where you are as a startup entrepreneur, how do we just create a middle ground for risk management in a way that does not stifle this this um, entrepreneurship thinking. I think we have a lot of people with ideas. They are all simply just stuck with no source of capital.
0: Mm. But, I mean, it's amazing how the government was able to raise 500 billion over this period. If they were able to do that now and, and they were able to do that before um, and invest in entrepreneurs, I, I almost get the feeling that that's one thing we need to drive on. But I wonder how many people within government policymakers have had businesses or, or worked in business. And and it's almost, I think, that there's a fear that because so many businesses do fail, but if we support them properly, no, no one wants to actually go and fail. And yes, they might fail mm-hmm. the first attempt, but generally, it's like anything's riding a bike. The second, third time, you get better at it. <laughs> and... Mm. It's part of the cycle, but you're investing actually back into society, and the confidence. And so it mm-hmm. is a long-term thing. It's not like a short-term repay the money. It, there needs to be some level of free interest for the first two years or three years to lower the the risk in itself, because that the risk is actually the repayments on the entrepreneur. It's the interest rates. Mm. That's the challenge for me that I see more than anything else. If you look at the States or the UK or Europe, mm. uh, you know, the, the interest rates are zero or one or 2% versus ours, which is in many ways unmanageable for them to repay. Um, so, I mean, the, the other thing is that you're obviously very passionate about women and, and we've got a whole program that we do around women and top women. And so I'd be interested to know why you're so passionate about it. I mean, from what we see internationally, investing in women and gender-empowered organisations, not, not only do you get a higher return on investment, but you get a greater chance of getting your money back if they do fail, and the chances of failing is less. Mm. What are you seeing? I mean, what you're very passionate about mentoring, investing in women networks. What do you see?
1: You know, I, I think that, um, first of all, our population is minimum 51% women. Okay, so this means there's a half of the population to which companies sell to or can sell to are women. So I just think it makes economic sense. You cannot have half of your market or potential market not having financial resources to be able to buy your products, that this doesn't make any sense. Who's going to buy your products? You're losing half of the, of the, of the um, population in that regard. So to me, it just makes financial sense. I think that Africa being Africa and sometimes I think the world it's, the world is not an easy place to be a woman. First of all, (laughs) now we can get into the race thing and go on the (laughs) Not an easy place to be a woman. And I think the more that we can uh, be able to facilitate and to um, structurally support the growth and the ability for women to have opportunities in an unlimited way, whereby the choice is theirs as opposed to a system imposing choices on them, the better we are as society, as humanity, all over the world. I think that. If you just think about yourself being a man, if you had to say to me, the person who had the most influence on you has been your mother, truly, I would not be surprised. It is what I expect. And so what you want is to have a society where these people who have the most influence on humanity actually are able to be healthy financially, socially, emotionally, physically, in order that society in totality is a much better place. So really, to me, it just makes sense. So I think that from a young people perspective, we still have quite a long way to go. I think that if I just look at the dynamics in our, in our townships, we still have quite a long way to go. That's why I think if we don't fix education and the issues around education, we're not going to, go anywhere. I really just don't believe we can. It's not physically possible. I think that I'm still seeing in the in the corporate space, there are still places where, you know, two years ago I was the only woman in the boardroom. And then it's now becoming better. So, you know. In, in our organization, in T-Systems International, when I was appointed as MD for South Africa, I was the only woman MD. Today, as we sit, I'm the only black leader in that organization at this level. So there is still quite a long way to go for our country. And I think at the heart of it is that there's still a lot of poverty basis, but I think if we touch women, there is a long way we can go in terms of poverty alleviation. Poverty alleviation is not going to come with social grants. It's just not. All it's going to do, social grants, all they can do is buy food, you know, and a little bit of clothes. Ease the, pa- the pain. Part of not, not...
0: Yeah. Hmm. And I mean, what do you, you've, you've gone through that journey and we advocate gender impound because we see globally the impact of it. And certainly in South Africa as well. Mm. and it also does surprise me to be honest with you um it just makes absolute sense in every way (laughs) Mm. um how how do you see us leveling the playing fields so to say or or recognizing the role of women in both business and society in a greater way
1: I think that there is definitely need for more and more education, especially to uh, call it the ordinary unsophisticated individuals in our society. Um, so let me make an example. Um, you know, if, if, you're an, if, if you're a guy who lives in, in, in the township and maybe your job is really blue collar type of work that you do. I think the social environment conditions men in those environments to think in a particular way versus somebody who's in a more progressive type of environment. And so considering that the majority of our population are in the township still very much disadvantaged, still very much blue collar type of environment, I think there's a lot of social education that really needs to start to happen to... I mean, there's no for a person to perpetrate violence against a woman. There is something happening in the psyche that makes them believe that this is what needs to happen. So, there is really, I believe, need for a lot of education, re-skilling, re almost changing the nature or the psyche of the country in terms of what, what are women, who are women, what do they mean to us, what do they represent? They are mothers, they are wives they are sisters and what do they represent? Uh, I think it starts there. I think education is a great, the greatest equalizer as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think that obviously every child has to be educated but I think that from a focused perspective in terms of encouraging, encouraging and really nurturing and really mentoring and helping to propel forward, we need to make sure that we we do that everywhere we are. I think in the workplace, every leader needs to check and ensure that men and women who are doing the same jobs are receiving the same salary for the jobs that they are doing, so the leaders must do that in order to create that equalization. And I think for me, the primary thing that I'm seeing right now in our country is that there really needs to be a reconfiguration of the psyche of the nation as relates to women who they are, and they are deserving equally of, of respect like any other human being.
0: Mm. So it's so funny. I was speaking to Ian Williamson, the, the, the CEO at Old Mutual, and we we're talking around, they're also level one, like yourself, contributor but they had invested a lot in education. And I sort of said, well, what's the impact? You've invested a lot, 300 million, I think it was, or 500 million every about five years what's the impact so he said to me it's interesting actually ask that but there is a very clear impact he said what we did is we chose to work with the worst performing schools in south africa and we mm-hmm. really focused on the matriculants and trying to improve their um, success rate and so some of the schools they were able to take them from zero pass rate to 100 and but the average overall was they're able to at least double the success rate. So where schools had a 14% pass rate, they're able to get them up to 28%. And I said, Mm -hmm. and and so, so how did you do that? So he said, well, fundamentally, we just focused both with coaches and some of our people on the um, headmasters. Um, Some of the teachers as well, but mainly the headmasters Mm -hmm. and where they were, the right people. And I almost get the feeling that maybe that's where we need to start with educating you know society is is what an important role these headmasters and teachers have in society far greater than just education of subjects yeah but forming other areas so it's interesting you say that um and and where we form a lot of our opinions and thoughts as well comes from these really important people yeah so investing more in them as well i suppose is yeah. is the next thing, um like nurses, we need to invest more in our nurses and our teachers i mean yeah just lastly before we we close off i mean what are your thoughts on the future of Africa and technology what, what is your your thinking there
1: <laughs> Well, I think that um, I think that's what we need to to be to have a common, I think we need a common um, vision, Um, certainly in terms of South Africa, common vision for this continent. And what I mean about that is that if you, let's just take the example of the United States, the vision um, at the time was, this is the land of opportunity. Yeah, So that begins to influence the decisions that are made nationally, people, engagement, et cetera, et cetera. I do think that we need a common vision about what is the issue that we are trying to get right? What are we trying to solve as Africa? I think we need to solve education. I think we need to help to solve health. Um, And I think we need to solve gender equality. So technology then can be at the forefront of that or must be at the forefront of that. If you look at health, and even the evolution of 5G coming into place, this can help us rap- rapidly be able to find uh, cures for diseases, rapidly be able to develop vaccines, uh, roll out healthcare, virtualize healthcare. So, technology can help massively there. Technology can help massively in education, uh, as we're seeing now in terms of virtualizing education. Um, and perhaps we can even change the agenda in terms of social media type of content. I mean, there's so much nonsense in social media, fake news, etc. How do we popular, uh, popularize social media with educational type of content, with health type of content that can propel society forward in Africa? And then lastly, with regards to gender equality, you know, once you've solved education and you've solved health care, you are already denting the gap in terms of gender equality and you're creating opportunities because the thing about technology and as you roll it out, it is exponential. It is scalable and you can have opportunities for entrepreneurs, even in that space. You can have opportunities for women, even in that space. They don't have to be tech savvy to be able to benefit from, from the impact of it. And, and,
0: and i mean very last question i promise is that you you are a beacon of hope for a lot of people in south africa and africa and i think you are a trailblazer in terms of what you're doing and and where you are and the sort of company you're keeping what what would you what would you say your principles of success are for young people who are trying to maybe emulate your career
1: hmm okay I think for me, it is, um, first of all, having a vision for, for your life. Um, You know, when I was probably younger than 12, I started to go to the Johannesburg library and I was reading, I spent a lot of time reading. I think from that reading, it opened up a whole different world for me. You know, I would read a novel. And it's talking about this lady. This is the life that she has. You know, it opened up an ability to dream. Oh, wow, I could have that. Interesting. So I think that develop a vision for your life. What is the life that I want to live while I'm on earth? We are here for a very short time. Um, So that's the one thing. I think the second thing is to realize that there really is only one of you. There is absolutely nobody else who is going to be Dineo. Never before I was born was there someone like me. Never ever, once I'm not in the world anymore, will there be ever someone like me. So realizing that, then get yourself in a place where you think, how can I make a contribution to the advancement of mankind while I'm here on the earth? Then really focus on that. What, why am I, what's my vision for my life? How do I use my own uniqueness to make a contribution to the advancement of mankind. Lastly, I think it is hard work and and determination. You know, I think that in this one thing about this age of this, where where I grew up, you know, you had to make things work. Today's kids are more uh, thinking things are gonna fall onto their laps. Doesn't work that way. Um, hard work and determination has never killed anyone. Nobody. Ever dies of being determined, unless they're doing the wrong thing, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that,
0: that, thats really know, what I—I I really want to thank you. I think that um talking to you, I get this strong sense that we are connected. But um, once we get out of this lockdown, I'd love to come visit you and, and go for a cup of coffee or something it was it was really amazing to speak to you inspiring and yeah and i think you're a great nice person so you know best of luck to t systems
1: no thank you thank was, you very much for your time thank you it was really good to talk to you and i really look forward to that coffee